we live in America and we talk like Americans and we act like Americans and we look like Americans. But then at the end of the day, we walk into our houses and it's like a blast from our parents' past, which is like they want yeah. their home to feel like back home. That was artist Kiki Salem. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, and this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. Kiki Salem and Saj Asa are two Palestinian-American artists. Their parents emigrated to the U.S. from the same village in the West Bank, which Israel has occupied since 1967. Saj was born and raised in St. Louis, and her family traveled to the West Bank in the summers when she was a kid. Kiki was born in the West Bank, and she moved back and forth between there and the U.S. for a while before she grew up mostly in Dayton and went to high school in St. Louis. The two have a collaborative show up at Kranzberg Arts Center through May 15th. It combines textiles, ceramics, and various mixed media. And it responds to the artists' identities as so-called third culture kids. I asked Kiki Salem what that means. Being raised in between or at the intersection of two, in our case, like pretty much opposing cultures, Western United States style versus like Eastern Palestinian. It's something that we learn to navigate, but also like we create our own culture and our own spaces and our own like place of being. It's a little challenging and confusing growing up in that, but I think as we've gotten into adulthood, we've sort of just owned it. And the reason, of course, I ask these questions is because I think you each foreground that element of your identity in a lot of your work and in the show that right now is at, at the Kranzberg. Yeah, totally. That's sort yeah. of what the show was initially the inception was all about was like, isn't it so weird that we live in America and we talk like Americans and we act like Americans and we look like Americans. But then at the end of the day, we walk into our houses and it's like a blast from our parents past, which is like they want yeah. their home to feel like back home. I just wanted to do something for people like us, not necessarily only Palestinians, too, just a lot of people who have been raised with like multilingual homes, like having to speak a different language to relatives. And Saj, what does that mean to you? Me having family or relations from one place and living in diaspora from that region, that lifestyle having very much heavy influence from the parents or native place, but not being able to claim that place as your home or the place in which you live in currently for me, which would be like St. Louis or America, is necessarily my home or Palestine my home. Being challenged with the question, where are you from? Trying to navigate answering that. And also when the third culture, I guess, kids come together and hang out, we also have a blend of our own language, a blend between English and Arabic, and then also using and creating these these words that are not grammatically correct in any language. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> we just, you know, it's sort of like... Arabish um, is what we call it, right? It's like English, yeah. Arabic. <laughs> yeah. One of the interesting things about this show is that uh, it fuses several disciplines, most notably ceramics and textile work, mm-hmm. weaving. Could you talk a bit about how you two worked together to conceive and execute the pieces in the show? It all started when we were in high school together. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we actually did have an art class in high school together, I think, maybe. Yeah, like, we did. Yeah, um, but and that was at Hazelwood West over in North County. We've always just sort of been like the two artists kids like who hail from Bettine, which is our village in Palestine. 
and conveniently we like our families lived in the same area when I moved back from Chicago after doing undergrad me and Sedge were just like in conversation about like our practices and we just saw a bunch of intersecting points even though like our mediums are too like sort of drastically polarized Mm. like you know textiles Mm -hmm. being something very like fluid soft and then ceramics being like a very earthy tough material i think that one of the things that really attracts me to textiles is that mobility like i was embroidering one of the pieces that's on display there while i was up in the air traveling from palestine to the united states so it's a really interesting like thing to make your studio anywhere in the world well, the pieces exhibit a high degree of technical skill, whether in some of the, the woven wall hangings or the porcelain bowls and plates that we see, but the viewer is invited to do more than just admire them. They're not just beautiful objects, right? It seems like they're presented in contexts yeah. that are highly conceptual and, and invite the viewer to contemplate some pretty specific topics. Totally, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Why don't we start with the name of the show? It's Back Home in Your New Home. Yeah. What is that meant to evoke? Sort of, again, that third culture experience being, like, from here, from there, but not here enough and not there enough. We're always seen as foreigners when we go back to Palestine. Like, people will speak to us in English there. And we'll respond in Arabic because we're bilingual and we can do that. But they don't ever give us that benefit of just, like, being who we are. You talk about, like, going back home. And people will be like, where is back home? And then you just get, like, faced with that question of, like, where are you from from I could say I'm, I was raised in Dayton Ohio or that I'm from St. Louis or that I lived in Chicago or anything like that but then it always will fall back on like where do your ancestors come from when you walk in the, the first thing you see as you enter the gallery definitely suggests a domestic scene right and I, I think Kiki you took the lead in, in putting that piece together would you just describe wh- yeah. wh- what someone sees so a couple pieces sort of make up that installation the first one being This embroidery piece that is essentially like a floor mat, thighs-wise and everything, but it's hand-embroidered, so it's not meant to be stepped on. And it says, please remove your shoes, which is um, something that you get told when you're entering people's houses, especially, like, Arab homes. And then also, like, when you enter mosques, so, like, holy and spiritual spaces. And then finally, when you enter, like, the line at TSA, you also get told to remove your shoes. And so that one, again, I, I made it as I was navigating borders, I was, you know, like traveling between different airports and always having to remove these shoes. It's like sort of a living room space, but also a library. Well, it's called a Ka'da Arabiya, which is an Arabic seating area. And then I curated a library from my own collection of books, things that I've been picking up throughout the years and learning about my own identity and different writers and artists who have these same ideas um, or have been developing these same ideas. I wanted to, like, get people to try and understand that, like, you know, Palestine isn't only about, like, oh, like, they took our land or whatever, because it is, that is a big deal. But there's also, like, the question of refugees, the question of our culture, the question of all the other things that sort of are at stake with with the colonization of Palestine. And Um, is there not a a tension between wanting to talk about and raise awareness of the occupation mm -hmm. without having that become the sort of summation of what it means to be from where you're from? You're not defined by the fact that that this occupation is happening. No, yeah, and that's that's something that I think a lot of people who are of Palestinian descent, understandable, they live their own lives. At the end of the day, even living under occupation, people 
don't let the occupation be the only thing that their lives revolve around. They build families. They they go to school. They get their education. All the things that people don't really take into consideration when they think about it. They just sort of listen to what the images of the media portray it as, which is always like this war-torn space. But like, you can go to Palestine and have a really amazing cultural experience. And I just wanted to make this space something that's not as blatantly political as Palestine in context usually is. So the first thing we see is this sort of living room space. There's some wall hangings also. Yeah, a lot of cool found objects that I've found. Um, There's a medallion that says Jerusalem on it. Um, It was just brought to me from Jerusalem. I spent a decade away from Palestine. Like the last time my family moved from there, I was told at the border by Israeli border crossing that I would never be allowed to return. And so I didn't return until this previous winter. So like... I rang in the new year in Palestine, and I like got to defy that like um, what seemed like a really concrete decision on my life. Um, but yeah, my dad went to Palestine a few years ago and brought this little like souvenir from Jerusalem, and it fell off my wall and shattered. And I like wrapped a bunch of thread around it to like piece it back together, but to know like to make sure to recognize that like it's not always going to be the same. Like, you can't glue back the pieces of what's happened to the city. It's mm-hmm. definitely, like, an eternal city, but it's also an eternally, like, damaged city in some ways. And in the case of this souvenir item, held together by a thread. By right. thread, yeah, yeah. That's sort of what the sim- the symbolism of the thread is in that piece. Oh, there's w- there's wonderful details, too, for the, for the viewer to explore, I think. Yeah. You're listening to Cut and Paste. We'll be right back with more from artists Kiki Salem and Sa JC. Let's talk about a piece called 40 Acres and a Camel Trying to Buy Back. Saj, for folks who haven't seen it, could you describe what, what someone sees? Four different distinct forms of these water jugs. That earthenware water jug has originated from various Middle Eastern countries. I wanted to replicate those forms into my own making. And then there's a hybrid water pipeline slash gas handle that is mounted onto the wall with a sign above it that says authorized personnel only. So there's a, a series of earthenware jugs. There's a gas handle, or I, I saw it as a spigot, or I, I was thinking it might be something that you might get water from. And stamped onto those jugs are is what? Various American gas stations, so gas stations that Arab Americans primarily own or work at. I wanted to have this industrial-like feel to whenever the viewer walks into the space, this candle slash gas pump feels as if it could be used, but also the sign is there to remind the viewer, like, hey, you are restricted from entering in or participating in this. Very striking, very evocative to me, certainly suggests something about the access to resources and control over resources in the region. Yeah, the same regions in which Arabs had fetched water from these oases is, is the same region in which the battle for petroleum mining is being undergone. I wanted to um, connect that parallel between land and which is being reserved for those specific authorities. Mm-hmm. And with the title of the piece, you're also bringing into play American history, right, and, and treatment of enslaved people after the American Civil War. Right. And it wasn't something that I wanted to correlate between 
slavery specifically, but the assertion that slaves were told that they would be given 40 acres and the mule for um, not being paid during, you know, their time in slavery and after the slaves were freed. And so I wanted to draw that connection between this land that is promised to be given back to people for equal rights or for reparation, but in turn are still being occupied. And Kiki, does, does some of the ideas in this piece intersect with your concerns in this show as well? I know that my fam- my dad had um, a gas station in like the 90s, but I was never raised with like my family being, you know, sustained by gas money, oil money, like the convenience store money. And now my dad does own a gas station actually nowadays, but I don't really thrive or survive off of that money either. And I have huge criticisms about the Arab community and how they use the resources of gas stations and their convenience stores as a way to gain wealth in America while also like exploiting the communities that their stores are in and then also taking that money that they make here and building mansions in Palestine with it and the poorer people in Palestine to always see and recognize like, yo, that's what that's what you get when you go to America, essentially. Ultimately, like they're really a huge blight on the land. And like everyone always wants to talk about the land, the land, the land. But then you got these Palestinian Americans who don't live under occupation, might experience like Islamophobia or racism here in America. But at the end of the day, they also like perpetuate racism upon like black and brown communities as well. And also like use their wealth to perpetuate classism on people in Palestine. So that for me is what I get from Sajda's piece when I want, I really want to highlight stuff like that because I think that there's a lot of things that our communities can do better at and that's yeah. one of them. I agree. The same thing, the same resource that has driven Middle Easterners out of their land and into living in diaspora is the same resource that they are profiting off of. So it's like this full circle of like what has driven them out of the land is also what is making them thrive in another country. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to portray that irony in that piece. Super ironic. And that sense of irony and, and tension and opposing forces is something that is suggested in one of your pieces, Kiki, the in-between. Yeah. A, a mixed media piece. It's it's largely a wall hanging, right? Mm-hmm. Of woven cotton and linen and burlap and synthetic fibers. Yeah, there's and a lot of other things. Some <laughs> mixed media elements are sort of dangling below it. Mm-hmm. Um, some painstakingly, it looks arranged p- pits of olives. Yeah, I had to right? drill each and every one of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was magnificent. And what? Are the, and there's metal coins. What's the significance of those coins? Culturally, Arabs in general really like to show off their wealth, even if they're not wealthy. Um, and one of the you're right, yeah. And so one of the ways they do that is for festive events, they wear coins. And this isn't just Arabs. I know that like in other cultures as well, like Armenian, Turkish, um, Kurdish, all these other cultures sort of do the same thing where like they wear coins. The ones that I put on my piece are like really cheap aluminum belly dancer coins. And then I also, yeah, I drilled holes into olive pits. I had my family eating olives for like months so that we could collect these olive pits, wash them, and then drill holes into them. 
I beaded those, and so they're right next to these coins. And so I wanted to highlight these two like things in our culture, where it's just like money and agriculture and the role in them too. But then also on the piece itself is these carpet tufted words that say, where is home? But it's in reverse. So like the only way you would be able to see it correctly is through a reflection. You have to take a second to really read it and reflect on it to get what's going on in this piece. So where is home is backwards. So even you can read the text where is home, yeah. but there's a sort of displacement about it. Exactly. It's there and it's not quite there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then another one with the olive pits, there's like a history behind that too, where like refugees from different parts of Palestine who like were forced into Lebanon or Syria actually would like grab almonds or olives or something because they knew they were never going to see their lands again they would turn the shells or the pits of these fruits into jewelry for themselves oh. so that they could wear it and like always like have that presence of their home on their bodies or like turn it into prayer beads which is another big theme in our show is these prayer beads that are sort of floating around the space. Something that speaks to me in the show is a deep sense of intentionality mm-hmm. in the materials that are used totally in the arrangement of objects and I may not grok entirely what all of it is communicating but I, f- I feel <laughs> if I feel there's something there and and I can assemble bits and pieces of it mm-hmm. but the sense of an artist's point of view is very prominent in, in all of these pieces. Totally. You mentioned the recurring beads. I mm-hmm. think something that might fit into that is a piece called Who You Prayin' On, P-R-E-Y-I-N, Who You Prayin' On. And uh, that's a series of ceramic grenades that are looped together like beads, perhaps like rosary beads, and hung on the wall. Yeah. Sag, that, that's a piece you put together? Yeah. The prayer bead has... 33 beads in a traditional Islamic prayer bead set it comprises of 33 beads and then one at the crown and then followed with whatever jewels or those coins that is present in Kiki's birth are dangled on the bottom but instead of using coins I attached hand to hand and those are what metal pieces in the shape of hands yes which are um, an old time superstition of his holding symbolism to God's hand protecting the ones who wear the hand-to-hand or have a present in their home. In front of this display, there's a piece of yellow caution tape. Correct. As if to keep people away. Yeah. So I added that element in there to refrain people from participating in both acts of worship, such as like remembrance of God, and also the act of violence. So they're refrained from those polar opposites or what and some people believe is the same thing. It could be the same thing. The conflation of, of religious devotion and violence. Yes. That could be blurred line based on from, you know, person to person on what their belief is. There's so much more to dig into and to, to really spend time with. And I encourage anyone visiting the show to, to spend some time with these pieces. And there's really a dialogue happening, I think, among the, the, the artists and whoever's coming to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, at least three parties yeah. are part of that conversation. Totally. Is there a way to give me a sense of what kind of experience you do want the people who visit the show to have and and maybe what kind of conversations they might have on their tongue when they walk out? I want people to enter with an open mind. 
and not just an open mind of like politics, but also like a mind that's ready to learn something new. Because I think that historically with the context of like American media, our people have been censored, heavily censored through the curriculum, through the media, through just like all around like academia. We have been suppressed in telling our narrative and I want people to be very open to this narrative because there's so many different facets of the Palestinian identity. My family's not necessarily refugees, but I think we are secondary people who are taken out of our land because of this conflict. I just want people to recognize that it's not just like a black and white, but that there's so many different colors to what's going on in this situation. That was beautiful, Kiki. Thank you. What I want people to get out of entering and visiting the show is to find the narrative in which we had manifested through art, but also be inspired to find their words of how worthy their narrative and their storytelling is and be inspired to create their own or share theirs. That was Saj Isa and Kiki Salam. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, and this has been Cut and Paste, produced with help from my executive editor at St. Louis Public Radio, Shulin Newman. You can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts.